Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. Your role at City was uh, was technical director I believe. What, what, did that, what did that mean at the time? Well it varied a little bit because we went through such a period of change so when um, when when we were we all came in, so there was a group of us who who came in from um, Blackburn at the time. Obviously, Mark Hughes was the first. Uh, we all came in. I think that was round about January two thousand and six, wasn't it? I think I'm right in no 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 August. Sorry, it was just August two thousand eight. Um, and and Mark brought me in as technical director. Um, and then for the first twelve months, it was kind of like develop your own job description because the club. We were based at Carrington at the time, uh, the training ground down there, which we thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and, and compared to the one they've got now, it's just unbelievable. Um, and as as technical director, I kind of like had to build bridges with the academy. We had to look at some of our internal structures. It, it was going through a time when the managers, the managers just have to focus on the first team, but there's so much going on around the edges to do with academy, to do with player care to do with medical sports science. So I was kind of starting pulling all that together, but quickly realised what was more important than anything else was we get the recruitment right. So um, the chief executive, um, Gary Cook, who was obviously there before us, recruited us. Gary Gary wanted to bring his own guy in and change the, the structure internally, which happened over a period of like the next 12 months. So... When Brian Marwood came in, which again was a brilliant appointment, you know, Brian was very instrumental in moving things forward. My my kind of role changed away from getting involved in uh, wider the wider periphery and focusing more on recruitment, more on the players, because obviously at the time that's what we needed to do. You know, it was big changes in players, and that's where I need to focus my time. So you, you must have been there a matter of, of either days or, or maybe even just a week before Sheikh Mansour took over. No, I actually came in a little bit later. So what happened is uh, Mark left um, and, and his team and then uh, John Williams, the chairman at the time at Blackburn, said, you, you lot, to me and Glyn Hodges, who Glyn followed us in as the, under, you know, as the uh, reserve team coach, the under-23s or under-21s at the time, Um and John Williams, the chairman, said, no, no, you're all not going. You're going to have to wait you know, for us to appoint another manager. So me and me and Glyn were kind of left a little bit in limbo because we were still back at, back at Blackburn. And Mark and the rest of the staff, Eddie, Mark Bowen, uh, Kev Hitchcock, they all went in and Abu Dhabi had already bought, bought the club. Or, or it was in the process of taking over because you remember that time, taxing was still on the board, wasn't it? It wasn't an automatically clean break. There was a mix of... There was a couple of people on the board that still representing um, Taxi Shinawatra. And we came, I came in just as kind of that was coming to an end. So it was a little bit of a hazy period, but it, it wasn't just, it wasn't before Abu Dhabi came in. It was slightly after, literally by a matter of weeks, maybe months. So I was going to say you weren't involved then on that, that, that mad deadline day where they brought in no. Mourinho. 
No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I was. I literally came in. I think a couple of days after. Um, so there was Paul Aldridge there. There was you know Gary Cook and all that was going on. So I came in just slightly after that time. Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, the, the transfer dealings, then, because I think that's that's what a lot of people will be interested in 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 your role. Uh, by the time that the January window came around, were you the one looking at, at the targets for that window? Yeah. Now you're going to ask me what targets we were doing in that January, and you'll have to remind me because, uh, <laughs> as we were just saying before, if you if you name names, I'll be able to say. But like one window blends into the next, and I generally can't can't remember what we were doing. I think was was that January? Was it? Was it Wayne Bridge? Yeah, Nigel Wayne Bridge, Nigel De Jong, Craig Bellamy. Craig given? Bellamy. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, it was. And that was a very interesting time because there was a lot going on that period to do with um, really just making some changes. So I, I came in um, and I remember the first the first meeting we had, the first that, that first few months, that first six months from the August to the January, there was an awful lot of infrastructural changes inside the building. So... Um, Gary, Gary Cook, an absolute incredible uh, person to work with, probably one of the best people I've ever worked with. He was instrumental in getting everybody to, come on, let's rethink this. How do we take this on to the next level? And I remember at the time, and I've said this, he actually got everyone together and there was a book called, what I can't remember who the author is, but What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And he, he bought copies for everybody in the organization and said, listen, We've got to move this onto another level. We've got to now go, you know, what what got us to where we are now? We've got to have a big rethink and move on. So at the time, you know, Caldoun came in and, and uh, John Stemp, who was the facilities, you know, our facilities uh, director, you know, we need to change the training ground. We need to make improvements. And we built big extensions out the back with boardrooms and office. This was down at Carrington. So, um and then, the, you know, the, the, literally everybody went on a win, an international break. And then a couple of days later came back and there was a new gym built, a brand new gym inside Carrington. So the reason why I say that is they called it the building and fixing phase. And during that period, so obviously we started looking at players and the kind of mentality was, yeah, we know, you know, and I was going to the, the table with, well, you know, we can get this player from the championship or we can get this other player and this is what we think can move them forward. And I remember sitting in the boardroom with Caldoun. So Caldoun, me, uh, Mark, Gary, I think um, uh, Graham Wallace, the finance director, you know, the, 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 the real key people who were instrumental in doing this. And it was right, come on. We've got to think big. We've got to start thinking a little bit outside the box. Let's let's move this on to another level. How quickly were were they uh, aiming to get those top players in? Because at, at the time, so I, I, I remember a lot of people were saying, "Well, you can't just go out and buy the big stars immediately." Oh God, no, no. And a lot of people won't remember this. Remember, and I'm, I can't remember where where did we finish in the league that that season before was like mid-table it was mid-table yeah yeah so you remember at that time we were trying to convince people to come into the club and say to them um come you know come and come and join come and join manchester city you know this is a great club it's a great place and it was let's let's face it it's brilliant club great stadium but it never won any titles never won any cups never not not in recent history and it never you know there was no there was no glimpse of a hope of things like winning the Premier League or the Champions, you know, getting into the Champions League. Um, and it was all about, it was all about, and, and this this vision came from Caldoun and came from Gary, Gary Cook. It was, no, come on, we've got to create history here. We've not, a, and Sparky at the time, 
he was saying about, well, you know, at Man United, when I was there, we were kind of like just following history because Man United, and we were saying to the players, you've got to come in. And it was a genuine sales pitch. You've got to come in and you've got to create history. So Vincent Company was coming in and it was like, and, and Vincent has done exactly what was set out at the start. Come and create something. Come and, come and be part of developing this history. And that was genuinely around that August to January onwards, we were having these discussions with people to say, you know, we can't promise you Champions League football now. We can't promise you, you know, winning the Premier League. But what we can do is we can promise you we're going to build something here that's going to be built layer upon layer, more players and better players. So convincing them first few, you know, uh, Wayne Bridge, Craig Bellamy, they lifted it up another level. And then when Nigel came in, lifted it up another level. Um, and it was all part of that building and fixing phase. So building and fixing was going on inside the building, you know, building actually the infrastructure. And then the building and fixing was going on with inside the organization, talking about, you know, the marketing strategy, the corporate strategy, the brand. And at the same time, we were doing the same on the recruitment. Go and get the next level of player. Let's go in. And I, I remember being involved in some surreal, you know, conversations when we were, you know, some of the lists of players that we were going for and, uh, you know, really, really, really top, top end. Um, and uh, and Caldoun was like, yep, great, go and get him. <laughs> so, you know, me and the team then, we were just off flying around the globe, meeting agents and quite often meeting players um, just to take us on to another level and, and trying to convince them, come to Man City because, it, you know, you're going to create history. Some we got over the, some of they got over the line, some we didn't. Could you get a feel quite quickly for for which players would buy into that and which players just 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 you you would never going to get to convince to to kind of be part of this project? Yeah, yeah you definitely. And 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 some of them, you know, some of the players that we met, and I'm not going to name names here, but some of the players we met, it was just about how much money can you give us? And uh, it was like, and the agents were like, yeah, give us this and we'll come. And it was like, no, you've got to buy into this a little bit more. You've got to buy into City. You've got to buy into the club. You've got to be part of what this, you know, this great club's got to try and uh, has come from and wants to build. So, you, you, we would do that often by literally sitting in front of um, sitting in front of players. I'll give you one story. So, um, we, we uh, uh, Caldoun was brilliant, and and the club were brilliant. They said, right, Mike, you go and build your team. So I was just part of a bigger team of people. So I, I, you know, I am absolutely not taking responsibility of all these players coming. It was a, there was a big group of people that all, all played their part. There was a team of us that all played our part. And I remember one of the guys who covered Italy for us at the time, a guy called Barry Hunter. Me and Barry went out to Italy to try and get um, uh, Cellini, you know, the central defender, Cellini at the time. And we went and met uh, Davide Lippi, who was his agent, and we needed that kind of like central defender role. I, I can't remember exactly what window it was. And it was like, come on, let's go in. And we went out to Italy, went to Milan, Davide Lippi's his agent, made for me and Barry, and we spent a whole evening at dinner, went met him and spent him in his company. And he was one of the most impressive people I've ever met in football in terms of how he was and how he conducted himself. And, and I remember that time sitting there with him and it was a position that we needed and it was a player that we wanted and we were doing the sales pitch, come and build. And it was funny because around then time, I had on my computer uh, 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 um, a, a, a computer-generated mock-up of the what is now the training ground. 
so we were still building Carrington, but the club had obviously planning all this. And I was just flying everywhere saying, look what we're building. Look at the training ground. And there was like helipads and there was like all these. And it was the first prototype of the, uh, how do you say, CGI, computer-generated image of a video of the of the of what is now uh, City's training ground. And sitting down with people and going, look what we're building, look. And it wasn't. And this is the one thing that I say to everybody about, about you know, Abu Dhabi, uh, Khaldun and the club. Everything they set out and said we're going to do, they delivered. Everything. You know, none of it was bluff and bluster. So we were sitting down with the likes of Cellini. And then you kind of, going back to your original question, you're getting that kind of, would he fit us? Is he the right kind of culture? You know, is he the, and he was absolutely one of the most impressive people I've ever come across. And then for different reasons, which there are not multiple, we just didn't manage to get him over the line, so he didn't come. Um, and then adversely, we'd then go and meet certain agents and players and you'd just get a feeling you'd go, you know, you do all your work on them out there as a player and you do all your background checks, you know, fitness-wise, is there a fit, is it the right position we need and the right profile? But then really getting that feel for someone, whether they were coming in to be part of the bigger project, as the club talked in about the time. Um, there were some really, really good experiences and there were some pretty horrendous ones as well. I was going to say, I suppose it, it kind of speaks into that, that when you look at, at the players that City signed around about that time, you know, you, you're talking like Vincent Company originally and then, you know, a few a, a couple of windows later, you're talking Yaya Toure, David Silva, Sergio Aguero. They've all stayed with the club for a long time. And that, that I suppose yeah. that, that, that goes to show just kind of like the, the personalities as well, the, the work gone into to making sure they are the right fit for City. Yeah, some of it, um, it would it would be disingenuous for me to say it was all part of a very scientific you know sometimes it was it was good luck i remember sitting in a hotel with uh you'll all remember dimitri selyuk uh, yaya torah's agent um who uh was we were sat in the, it was before a champions league game and i was sat in the hotel um just up the road from the princess sophia which is where every agent met before every game which is just up the road from the new camp and up on the 22nd floor, there's an executive lounge. And literally before every Barcelona game, you would go up there and every agent who's who was in there sitting talking with clubs. And it was it was just like a big football marketplace. And I remember having a meeting with uh, Dimitri to try and convince him to get Yaya Torre. To, and we'd done loads of work. And you know, that, was, that was one of the most bizarre and funniest um, experiences of my life sitting in a, in a room with Dimitri because the first thing you've got to do is you've got to try and you know convince the agent right come to City and you know and at that time yeah I was like you know I'm playing Barcelona you know, Man City I think at the time I hadn't won anything and then you're always just constantly trying to convince a different part the player or these representatives why to be part of the bigger project and then you know when these guys have come in well they've they, you know history speaks for itself they've 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 left a legacy behind them, which has taken Man City onto another level. Is it true? I mean, uh, uh, Gary Cook uh, has has never spoken on the record about this in the past. But is uh, is it true that uh, David Silver and Yaya Toure were both told that the other one had already signed before they before they'd signed in order to just kind of get that deal a little bit closer no, to the line? I'm not aware of that. No, no, that's that's no. I'm never. I remember. So all I remember, we we sort of like there was a very much a team effort on this. So there's, there's multi-layered parts of this. One, me and you know my team of people were 
were flying around, meeting agents, meeting players, doing all the reports, trying to sell the football project. And then obviously you've had you had uh, Graham Wallace, Brian Marwood, Gary Cook, then obviously doing the the cutthroat, you know, final the final bit of financial negotiations. And we were we were double teaming this. So I remember the, um, our Spanish scout at the time. Um, Rob Newman, who's still at the club now, he's been there for a long time and he's still there and he's done a great job. Rob Rob was the guy who bent, basically clinched, you know, getting getting David, listen, go and get David Silver. Um, and then uh, also, you know, very instrumental because it was the two Spanish ones also very instrumental on Yaya Torre. So, you know, Rob's left, you know, Rob's role as part of that department was, so what was going on behind the scenes from a financial perspective when it was coming down really to the nitty gritty of the deal, uh, it, it was multi-layered and we were, we were always constantly, listen, this is the football project. This is how you're going to play. This is what we're going to do. And whether that went on, I have no idea. I've never heard that one before. So I'm probably, I'll probably lead to believe it probably wasn't true, but I don't know. I've never heard that. Yeah. Uh, how do you take on Gary Cook's assessment of the attempt to sign Kaká? Was was that closer than than it ever kind of seemed, or was it was it one that that never that never really got that close? Well, as far as I was aware, it was it was one that was it was just it was never that close. What 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 a lot of people in football have got uh, sort of like fans have got to realise is there's multiple plates spinning all the time. Um, very rarely are you ever just going after one target because from a negotiations perspective, you leave yourself wide open because if you put all your eggs in that one basket, um, that the Kaka one, I think, was just unfortunate, un, un, an unfortunate event. It wasn't the first and it certainly won't be the last. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Gary, he can speak for himself, but I'm sure Gary feels a little bit, you know, uh, looks back on them times as we all do and think, mate, we we could have approached various acquisitions in a different way, but you know hindsight's a wonderful thing. Kaka, I think, was one of probably a, a number of multiple players that we had on. We called it, you know, spinning plates that we were trying to get, and more often than not, I would say, and this probably the, the same applies for every club. More often than not, for every ten targets you're going for, nine fall by the wayside. How did um, how did you change the the scouting setup when when City when you arrived at City because you know from from the year before there's the story of uh, of Sven signing players after watching DVD highlights and that's that's about yeah. the best that you can get and then all of a sudden you know you're scouting the championship and suddenly you've got to have this worldwide operation. I remember the exact time um, we'd done a bit of an analysis and, and this isn't so much City this is this this was and is the football game in general about. The lack of, and something I've I've talked about and banged on about a lot is player acquisition is an extremely expensive business. You know, as we all know, you get a couple wrong, and it costs you millions and millions of pounds. You get a couple wrong, and you, you know you, you potentially get relegated. Now, um, we've done a little bit of analysis uh, on. Kind of the level of it's, uh, apologies for this phrase, but it's the best way to use it. But um, we've done a bit of analysis on the level of due diligence behind signing players. And when I got to City, there was a lad who sat in the office uh, and he kind of like 
had a small office. And Carrington was bizarre because it, it had like little offices with tiny little strips, windows that you could never sit out. And I opened this one and there was a guy in there uh, called Dave Fallows. And Dave was absolutely an amazing operator now at Liverpool. And he's, he certainly will be uh, instrumental to, you know, behind the success of, of what Liverpool have done so far. And he was... We, we were kind of like ordering DVDs from a guy in Bulgaria so we could try and get clips of, can we see this player that we're, you know, that we like the look of in Spain because of the, the amount of time it takes to get out. We didn't have international scouts. We had a group of part-time scouts that were based in, in the UK, all getting paid like, I don't know, £200 a month retainers. You know, there's two parts of this. There's actually finding the talent and then there's the acquisition. It's the actual process of getting the players signed, closing the deal. And that's a long process from start to finish. And it's multiple layers. There's lots of people involved from, you know, spotting them. And it's now gone on to a completely different level. You know, 10 years later, it's completely different. The use of analytics, the use of video, the use of you know, psychological profiling, um, you know, real uh, detail behind why would you sign a player and how does it fit in? And, you know, at that time, I remember we did a little bit of digging into, only really simple, over the previous group of players that had been signed, I think, the year or a couple of seasons before. That cost an awful lot of money to City, but basically hadn't moved the club forward, you know, hadn't bumped us up the league any. And there's multiple reasons for that, obviously. But but for me, I looked at, right, well, where's our system, which which looks, you know, where's our due diligence? Where's our records to say, why would, she, why would we, we go and get that player? And we, we virtually had nothing. I think we had a, I think, I think at the time there was like a couple of lines on a match report on Benjani from Portsmouth would have been at the time. Yeah. And I pulled this report together and I remember Gary, um, Gary Cook saying to me, right, Caldoon's coming over. You've got, you've got probably half an hour to present to him what we've got to do going forward. And I remember putting up this slide of these list of players and going, right, they're the players that we've brought previously in this last you know, couple of windows. We're now trying to get them out and you know, move them on uh, or we're looking to try and replace them. This is how much it's cost us and this is how much due diligence we've done behind it. And it was, it was literally zero. And I went, you know, Caldoun, if we, you know, if we're going to move this forward, we've got to have a proper professional department of people based home and abroad, full time, that have a real rigorous process behind it. Um, and if we want to move, if we want to bring talent in and make sure we move us on to another level, and he just said, "Yep, whatever you want," boom, and it got done. And then we just set about building a team of people. Uh, you know, I, I was lucky. I was just the, the head of that department. I wasn't the person responsible for everything. I was accountable for it, but we had some amazing people. Some of them are still there now. Um, you know, right from the analysis team, you've got Gav Flegg, who's still there. Um, you've got you've got Alan Watson, you know, Barry Hunt and Dave Fallows gone to Liverpool. You know, uh, Rob Newman, Andy Sayer, John Gannon, you know, all these team of people. And then we got David, David Fernandez based out in Spain and Roma Poirot based in, And then we started building all these team of people over the next couple of years. And, and there was a togetherness that we had and a, and a structure and a process that we had to start literally just building up um, a much better infrastructure of identifying talent. Now, 10 years down, the, 10 years forward, you know, people will laugh at this and go, yeah, that's what we do. But 10 years ago, 
there was none of this in place. There was no, there's a system called Y Scout where all the games are on, on, on a platform where you can just watch on, um, you know, online. There was none of that was about at the time. There was no, there was no analytics. There was no opt to producing raw data that you could analyze, you know, various data on players. Um, and then literally just what happened over the period of time, we had people specific for certain responsibilities. Like I said, Baz was in charge of Italy. Rob was in charge of Spain. Alan Watson, who's still there now and has done an amazing job as part of, you know, the heading up the UK. And then just, uh, just us as a team of people, we would just get together on a regular basis and, uh, and produce the target list. But it was, it was, it was far more in depth than what had been done previously. And, and, and what's happened since, to the club's credit, is they've built it year on year on year. It's gone on to another level. So where it is now, you know, under Cheeky, is a completely different level to what, what it was when I was there. And, and that's, again, credit to uh, Caldoun, credit to the club, and realising if they're going to do this and you want to move on to the highest level of football, you've got to do it properly. Because, that, what, what again, in football, you know, sports science, medical coaching, these are all extremely well-resourced so, well um, and extremely professional departments. But these general, them departments generally can only get the best out of players when they're in the building. And my case to the club was, yeah, well, we've got to have that same level of professionalism to analyse the players before they come in the building. And the bit which a lot of people don't realise, we literally spend 99% of our time keeping the players away. And the focus is always, well, the players that you do get. But but 99% of our time is spent keeping players away. That's as in, you know, players that, that you don't want at the club sort that of thing. That we don't that, want. That, that don't yeah, fit. That don't fit. You know, players that, you know, financially don't work. Players that just position don't work. Players who just might not be for us at the right time. Like I was saying before, that that Chiellini one. Um he was a perfect, you know, a perfect, perfect player, but but for different reasons, it just wasn't the right fit at the right time. So when I mean, I'm interested in the the kind of the nuts and bolts of of the assessment of players because I, you know, I've been reading that uh, that you had scouts posing as fans at, at hotels. You know, you're looking at players not only against the the top sides but against the the lesser sides to see how they perform. It's it is a real kind of a look at them as a rounded as a, as a person, isn't it? Right. So, so a few years ago, um, generally how it worked is, you know, Fred Smith would jump in his car, would drive to a, drive to a game, would sit down, would sit in the stand, would watch a player, would kind of like make a few notes, come back and say to the manager, yes, there's your strengths and weaknesses. And then somebody would pick up the phone and get a few references on the player that had worked with him. Um, you know, what's he like as a character? Is he a good lad? Um, now. Now it's a different level. Now you've got GPS, and I'll give you a few examples. Now we've got GPS data to show what the actual physiological abilities are of a player in the game. Now we've got um, tracking data and we've got uh, raw data that analyzes. If So if you look at the, the raw data that's being compiled now, there are companies like Opta, like Huddle, like Instat that analyze every single touch of every player in every game in every league and there's billions of bits of information there that now um, data scientists are analysing to compare 
or, or the outcome of all these players and what they do compared to other players in them positions across multiple leagues. You've still got your live eyes. You've still got your your references. You've you've now got um, you, you've now got multiple layers of of opportunities to and and I call this about layering. Very rarely will you make a decision just on one. Yeah, went out and seen him today, and he played well. Let's go and buy him. Now there's multiple layers. If we if we're looking at a player, I'd like to think we've watched every single thing that player's done for the last two years because you can because you've got the access of it on Scout. Um so it's just it's becoming far more professional now in in the depths that you go to to try and help you form an opinion on a player and you never you never ever always going to get it right because there are always going to be human reasons why players don't adapt they can't settle they play you know we we constantly talk about um different systems because you, you know you have to recruit players into your system and sometimes you're looking at a player that plays in another club that might play in a different system so you then have to make some kind of assumptions to go right can he fit into this system can he and then you've got well can he come and fit into the premier league in other words you know play all year round can he deal with the culture can he deal with the food can he deal with the weather you know what's he like living on his own without his family being here what about the language difference and i remember i remember when we signed pablo Tabletta, uh, one of the you know one of the nicest and best people I've ever met in football. Incredible professional. Our worry with him was, oh, you know, how's he going to settle in? And every single day he was having English lessons. So Pablo took it upon himself, with the obviously support of the club, to ingrain to uh, ingrain himself in the culture by learning English as quick as he can. A lot of the time, I've worked with players that they've had no desire to do that at all. And that's that's been a barrier. So it's not been a football reason, but quite often that's been a barrier why a player hasn't been able to adapt into the club and into the league, just from a cultural perspective, because they've not picked up the language. Speaking of uh, of Argentinians as well, how how instrumental was getting Tevez from uh, well, effectively from Manchester United in in the bigger picture? Um, yeah, massive, massive on it. I mean, because it it was one in the eye for Man United. It was the billboard was brilliant. That was a great marketing thing. It's probably too safe to say that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a great recruitment. It was a great recruitment coup. It wasn't a, a real scouting coup because everybody knew what Carlos was. That was just a pure, you know, smart business deal which brought him to us and weakened them and and made us stronger than what they were. So. Yeah, instrumental and brilliant, and uh, I think just just a good just a good signing all round. Yeah, did, when when Mark Hughes lost his job, did did your role change at all? Yeah, it did slightly um, because I I'd worked with Mark in Wales, I'd worked with Mark in Blackburn, great guy, an absolute you know, gentleman in in him and how he works. And I remember, I think it was it after the Sunderland game. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was obviously bits of rumours that you know Mark was going to move on, and I was part of that group. And uh, and then I kind of like had the decision: do I, you know, the club never came and said, "Listen, Mike, sorry, you've got to go as well." Um, so I I remember after Mark left after that game, and they all they all got their um, you know they all got notified that they were moving on. It's always a difficult time, but it's inevitable in football at some point. So. That's what it was. 
And and I remember a couple of weeks after thinking, right, I can sit here and sulk because my mate and the person I've worked with for a long time, or do you know what? I've got an opportunity at this amazing club to hopefully try and just help contribute a little bit more. And and also I didn't want to feel that Mark had the responsibility every time he moved to another job that he had to find me a job because that also means someone in that club losing their job in order to make a space for me to, to go into. Um, and I was really, really grateful that Brian Marwood and Gary Cook, you know, they said to me, you know, we want you to stay. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. And, and, the, the, and, and it didn't really change my job. Um, it changed it in the sense I was working with a different manager, which was a different set of challenges. But it made it, it just, I don't know, in a way, I think, I think it, it made me relax a little bit more that I didn't have kind of the same emotional attachment because Sparky was my mate and Sparky was someone I've worked with in multiple years. And I, I was being able to step back a little bit and detach myself and be maybe a little bit more, be a little bit more objective. How was, how was Roberto Mancini to work with? I I got on with him really well, you know. I mean, he, he was tough. I got on really well, well, but you know, he loved his football, and he was and he's a serial winner, by the way. So, you know, let's let's face facts. Um, but I've gone. I've realised in football, when people want to win, there's quite often the special personalities, and you see it. I see it all the time. Um, if you go in there and you just want an easy life, don't don't have a job in football. And Roberto didn't make it an easy life because he wanted high standards. And the, and the, you know he was very unique in how he was. How, how did I work with him? Yeah, I, I I remember you know going out and spending a bit of time with him in his place in in Albion and Sardinia, and and he was very kind. He's very generous. Uh, and then also at, at times he was very he he was very. He was very emotional and and very hot headed, but that's football. You know, he wanted he wanted players. He didn't want other players. He wanted things done. He wanted deals closed, and all, all of it was for the benefit of taking the club forward. and And he did. Now, obviously, you uh, you moved on from City just before they they won the title in twenty twelve. Um, I, I believe you were actually at the uh, the Bolton Stoke game with that that mattered for QPR. Um, so, how how did it feel that day to see your new club QPR stay up and obviously your, your previous club uh, City win the title? Uh, um, I regret going. Uh, regret probably regret the wrong word. No, maybe regret's the wrong word. Um, I made the decision to go and I think uh, to go back and work with Mark again and to to work on, as they say, a new project. And I remember that time I was thinking, mm, I'm not sure I can go in, I'm not sure I can go and sit in, in City's ground. I think should do something a little bit different. And I, I always laugh, jokingly saying, so I was... I, I was at the uh, the Britannia Stadium watching that game, and and that game finished before City's game did. And I think it was Mark Burcham, the reserve team coach, was on the bench. And I remember having a phone, my phone, and phoning up the lads at, at the Etihad saying, "That's it, we're up, great, because the result's gone our way, and we're up." And I'm sure Mark Burcham's jumped up and shouted to Kevin Hitch, going, "Yes, that's it, you know, we're up, they're fine." And, you know, we were laughing, saying a couple of the players turned around and looked at the bench, at which point Aguero sneaked through and scored that goal. So 
Um, so, you know, I, I tell my kids, listen, I was responsible for, my, for where I scored that goal because we put the players on. Um, but it's, uh, it was, it, I, remember, I remember Mark saying to me, uh, obviously I wasn't at the game. I was at, <laughs> I was at Sonny Stoke. And I remember Mark saying after, he went, oh, he said, I, I honestly, and you can imagine where Mark Hughes has played and where he's been and what stadium he's been in and Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And he said, he said, when that goal went in, he said, I've never experienced uh, a noise and an atmosphere like that in my life. He just said it was just, and that's the bit which I regret. I wish I wish I could have been there for that. But listen, we stayed up. City won the title, and everyone's happy. 